751 or by going to balanceofnature.com and make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code FRUITS. This is Lacrosse Talk PM, where your voice matters, your chance to weigh in on the issues important to you, where you control the content, where no topic is off limits. Annoyed by something? Have some constructive criticism? Do you have solutions to fix the problems that plague us? We want to hear from you. Weigh in with your comments on the talk and text line at 785-7914. Now, your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? Only Tuesday. <laughs> Lacrosse Talk PM, I'm Rick Sola. We're going to get in here. Good time to do it today. 608-785-7914. I've got Dr. Aaron Engel the lacrosse school superintendent, who I believe is 21 days into the job. Uh, Nothing like taking over a huge school district in the middle of a pandemic, right right as the school board decides that we're going to look into the decades-long relationship with the lacrosse police department, among other things that, you know, superintendents worry about. So he'll he'll be joining us in about eight minutes. Eight or so minutes, and if you got questions, and you you got to have questions, right? Do parents out there worried about their kids going to school during a pandemic while the virus is 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 uh, ramping up again or still ramping up? Look, uh, the state of Wisconsin had over a thousand cases reported today, the most ever, <laughs> over a thousand. Uh, and if you don't think that's bad, because we did more tests, something like that, uh, 65 people were hospitalized today. That's the most since at least April. There's a weird number in April where uh, over 100 people were hospitalized, and it's on a Saturday. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if that is like a like a catch up day where they just didn't report because a lot of times these these. This reporting can, you know, this was early, right? This was April 4th, I believe. April 4th, the, the state recorded. So it went April 1st or April 2nd, 63 cases. April 3rd, 26 cases. April 4th, 101 cases. April 5th, 36 cases. Unless I have my math wrong. But a couple days later, there were 77 cases. Um, Oh, there's the most since April. Uh, so... That's the third most. So today, 65, uh, not cases, I said cases, uh, hospitalizations today in Wisconsin, too. So that's the most since April. 608-785-7914. So, you know, that's what we're looking at as we're trying to reopen schools. And, and you know, we, we talked a little bit with Dr. Engel last month. I believe it was a month ago. I'm trying to get him on once a month. And, you know, we, we hit on schools, we hit on SROs, we even hit on sports a little bit and how, and we'll probably just do that again and see where, where we've advanced on that conversation. But I think I, I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about this, but I've been to school like we all have. So you kind of think about like how the school atmosphere happens and, you know, what the school atmosphere is like from first grade all the way to high school, right? Like I'll, even the college, cause colleges are going to be in session too. And, and just, you know, how this is going to work with teachers, especially, right? Like if we're, if we're thinking and we're not, and this isn't true, but if young kids are immune to this virus, which they're not, they're just, they're, they could fight it a little bit better. 
But uh, sorry, <laughs> a little distracted. But if yeah, if 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 children and and younger adults have a better time fighting off this virus, there's still the the the, the fact that teachers are in the schools, and how do we protect them? So we can ask Dr. Engel there his his uh, plans for that. I think he said in the past, I think he said, you know, even yesterday at the school board meeting, the idea is try to get schools open by September 1st. And nobody in the world, not many people, only people that uh, homeschool their kids, I guess, uh, disagrees with the fact that we need to have kids in school. But the virus in the United States is a little bit different than the virus in most parts of the rest of the world. When other places are opening schools, they have like 500 cases of the virus, and we have like 70,000. So even here in Wisconsin, 1,000 cases today, just in Wisconsin, a new high. 608-785-7914. So that's the topic today. Yesterday, obviously, Mayor Tim Cabot was on. And I I, I feel like we, we, we talked about the statue for the most part. We talked about Riverside Park in general, not in general, but in more specific ways, too, in, in terms of uh, big boats coming in. Uh, we hit on whether Cabot is going to run for mayor next April, April of 2021. Uh, that was right at the end of the show. It took four seconds. And what else did we hit? We hit something else at the end of the show, but it escapes me at this moment. But if you want to listen to that conversation, uh, there's a story about it at wisdomnews.com. And there's also uh, the the podcast. The podcast is linked in the story. If you, so if you want to just go check out the podcast, there it is. Uh, just look for the protest picture with Hiawatha in the background that I took at the, the one of the bigger protests that's happened at Riverside Park in the last couple of months over the death of George Floyd, uh, where where everyone's protesting at Riverside Park. And ironic, somewhat ironic, there's a Hiawatha statue in the background. Um, so yeah, the, the, the podcast is linked right there. If you hit it on your phone and you can turn your, it's not like YouTube where you, if you don't have a YouTube subscription where you hit a YouTube video and then turn the phone off to just have the sound play, it doesn't work, but our podcasts work like, don't work like that. You can hit play and put it in your pocket and it'll play or put it on a Bluetooth speaker, whatever, whatever you want. It works just, just perfectly. Um, so go check that out. Wisdomnews.com. I don't think it was a great. I don't. I don't. I don't think that the conversation around the statue is all that productive. I think we just ran a lot of. We did a lot of running around in circles around it because, from from what callers were were asking and what Cabot was saying, and and the idea was Cabot's like we've talked to the family for the last two years. Essentially, the city hasn't done upkeep on the statue, right? Kind of like the Lacrosse Center hasn't done. The city hasn't done upkeep on the lacrosse center, and all of a sudden we get a $42 million bill. Well, the city hasn't done upkeep on this statue, and all of a sudden we have, you know, whatever it costs. I know Gary Podesky has called in and said maybe it'll cost ten dollars to $15,000. Uh, another council member in the past did kind of like a, a less scientific cost estimate, which said $60,000, but Podesky has called in and said that was that was a little ludicrous, and that guy's not on the board anymore. Uh, but still, the city is on the hook for fixing this thing because it's their statue and they're not doing it. And the family's like, you guys aren't fixing this up. It's it's in disrepair. Can we have it back? That's kind of essentially what ha- Cabot had kept saying. As uh, And this is the Cabot believes this is the best time to do that because we're in this middle. 
we're in the middle of like, uh, you know, the societal view of the idea that some of these statues aren't necessarily representative. Uh, it, they don't necessarily look good as a representation of the city. Uh, some will disagree with that. Others will not. I understand there's an argument there, but there's there's two arguments here from Cabot saying there's that. And also the family wants it back because the city's, you know, doing a bad job fixing the statue. All right, we got to do news. Dr. Aaron Engel coming on after this. Lacrosse School Superintendent. We'll be back right here on Wisdom. Now at Menard, save big money with 11% off everything. Keep your workshop and garages organized with a Masterforce 25-drawer tool chest and cabinet combo with Sidebox. Offering 33% more storage, the tool chest and cabinet combo with Sidebox is $1,281.57 after 11% off. Get 11% off everything in-store and online. Now at Menards. Good through July 25th. Savings or mail-in rebates. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at Menards. For WisdomNews.com, I'm Brad Williams. A Minnesota judge has lifted a gag order in the case against four former officers charged in the death of George Floyd, but said he would take a news media coalition's request to make body camera footage more widely available under advisement. Judge Peter Cahill also ruled that he would not hold Attorney General Keith Ellison in contempt of court, saying a statement Ellison made when he announced that additional attorneys would be assisting in the prosecution was innocuous. A judge from outside La Crosse County will be assigned to the disorderly conduct case of Christy Cabot, the wife of La Crosse Mayor Tim Cabot. Judge Elliot Levine excused himself from the case when Mrs. Cabot made her first appearance on Tuesday. The La Crosse District Attorney's Office had already passed on the case to avoid a conflict of interest, and Vernon County DA Tim Gaskell is the special prosecutor for the case. Christy Cabot is accused of confronting a van driver twice while demonstrators were marching in the street near City Hall in May. The driver used pepper spray on the mayor's wife during the incident. It could be November before the La Crosse School Board gets a recommendation on whether to keep police officers in local schools. The school resource officer program has been criticized in many cities because of charges that officers treat minority students more harshly than white students. An ad hoc committee has drawn up a list of questions about the SRO program to be answered. Board President Lori Cooper-Stoll says the board may vote next month on whether to go ahead with the study. The board would then vote. Um, on this charge to actually seek answers to the questions that school board members have. Superintendent Aaron Engel is instructed to have a recommendation on the program's future by November 16th. A federal judge has dismissed a lawsuit filed by two dozen Wisconsin residents challenging a variety of local stay-at-home orders enacted to curb the spread of the coronavirus. U.S. District Judge William Griesbach on Monday dismissed the challenge, saying those bringing it did not properly join all of the defendants into one lawsuit. The dismissal came as Wisconsin hit a record high today in number of confirmed COVID-19 cases, with 1,117 additional cases. For Wisdom News, I'm Brad Williams. Keeping the lacrosse area informed since 1923, this is Wisdom News. News Talk 1410 AM and 92.3 FM. Get the rest you deserve with Helix Sleep. Helix makes personalized mattresses to fit your unique body type and sleep preferences and give you the best sleep of your life. Go to helixsleep.com and get up to $200 off mattress orders. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608 785 
7914. That's the talk at text line. If you have questions for the new lacrosse school superintendent, Dr. Aaron Engel, great time. He's on. He, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's ready. I, I think you could take some questions, right, Doc? Absolutely. See, I did it. I called you Doc. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, obviously, you guys had a lacrosse school board meeting yesterday. Do you, do you want to give, like, a quick sum of what, what you all talked about yesterday? Um, there were two action items. One was on the subcommittee's uh, proposed charge for uh, evaluating the school resource officer program. And the second was an update regarding uh, reopening schools in light of COVID-19. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense. Nothing else uh, matters at this point. And, <laughs> and would you say you're probably like, is it at this point because the, the SRO program I'm not saying that it's not important, but at this point, is it like 90% schools reopening and 10% SRO because that contract's up in June and uh, we really were, you know, essentially, uh, you know, a little over a month away from you, you're, you're saying you, you want to get kids back in school by September 1st. Yes. In terms of prioritizing things, uh, reopening schools is the first thing that needs to happen. And uh, after that, we can take a little more time to evaluate our school resource officer program. I'm getting a text here. There's a very important text from Rug and Trempolo. And I know you used to be a Gale Trempolo uh, superintendent, right? Was it Gale Trempolo? Yep, that's true. Yep. Uh, he's asking if you have a dog. I do not have a dog. We have a cat in the family named Miko. Miko. Okay. Miko the cat. All right. There you go, Rug. Now we know. There's very important questions that we have to, to hit on. Uh, very animal-friendly uh, lacrosse talk PM we are. Um, all right. So let's let's just get the school our resource. Let's go Let's go there first. Uh, you know, there, there was a committee formed. Was it three weeks ago now? Was the three-week deadline yesterday or was that just two weeks they, they needed? I think it was two weeks ago the subcommittee was formed, and then they met um, last week, Tuesday, uh, to put together the list of groups uh, they would like involved in the evaluation, as well as a list of questions that they would like investigated. Okay, and I have I have a list of questions here. There's, you know, one 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 subhead has got fourteen, and I think these are out of order. So give me a. Give me, cut me some slack here. 13 questions and mm-hmm. another one. And then uh, stakeholders got, there's 27 stakeholders. So you want, essentially, can you just describe, you know, what, th- there's 27 stakeholders on this list. You you essentially want to want to get what from these 27 groups or people? Um, we would solicit uh, information from those groups in a variety of ways. Uh, it might be through a survey to get some information. It may be through uh, position statements from various advocacy groups. And it may be through personal interviews um, in order to learn more about uh, their understanding of the program, the history of the program, and their thoughts on it moving forward. All right. Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel is on with us. You're 21 days into the job. Is, this, uh, is it just a whirlwind at this point? It is a lot. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think, uh, you know, the experiences I've had have led me to this position for good reason. And uh, I'm thankful to have a really good team here in lacrosse and just an incredibly supportive community. So it makes uh, the transition easy despite all the things that are going on. Have you gotten any, like, inside information for that, that you've learned in the first 
a couple of weeks here where you're like, okay, I, I, you know, I have to do this a little bit differently or, uh, or maybe Randy Nelson has clued you in on something or has Randy just been gone? Is he, did he punch out and he's out? He- <laughs> <laughs> um, I was very fortunate to have a, a good transition time, uh, in May and June. And I had, uh, a lot of access to, to Randy uh, in order to be able to learn from him, uh, about unique things about the lacrosse school district. And so, that was very beneficial. Uh, and so I'm very thankful for all that Randy did to help me ease into this transition. And there have been a few things here and there. There's some, you know, unique things in every school district where it's, uh, it's a little bit different where, where you are. So, yeah. And obviously you're taking over a different, a bigger school district, uh, Gale, Trimple. I don't know how many, how many schools did you have to oversee, like maybe different bodies of schools, different buildings, right? Or was it just one big building that encompassed, you know, elementary through high school? Yeah, and in Gale Electric Trumple, there's uh, six different school buildings, three elementaries, one middle, one high school, and one alternative school. Um, growing up in, in Plainfield, Wisconsin, we had a, a K-12 building, so just a, a single building. Uh, lacrosse is a little bit different. Many more buildings, uh, many more elementaries. Uh, the complexity increases and the, the layers of communication increase. So definitely a little more complex. All right. Well, back to the the school resource officer uh, topic that you guys talked about yesterday at the lacrosse school board meeting. Um, you got this list of stakeholders. How long? This this is a long list. I mean, how much? You know, how much time and effort is this going to take? Do you have to divvy out some of these tasks to to get a hold of these people? This is this can't all be on you, right? No. We like I said, we've got a good team and uh, various individuals throughout. Uh, the school district will assist in, in making this happen. You know, in terms of interviewing students or families, you know, we'll rely on individuals that are, are close to those people that they trust, you know, so that we can get good quality feedback. Developing a survey, you know, won't take much time, and we'll have uh, a good people who know how to do, do that well, put that together. And a lot of it will be passive as well. We'll be able to solicit emails and position statements from advocacy groups or individuals uh, to gather up that information. Uh, talking with the, the Dr. Aaron Engel, the lacrosse school superintendent here on lacrosse talk PM. Um, so the last six days on this show, we've talked about the removal of the Hiawatha statue. And a lot of people want a referendum or some kind of vote. We even did like an unscientific vote amongst our stations here at Midwest family. <laughs> um, and it, uh, you know, the overwhelming thing was like, keep the statue and, you know, 83%, I think in our, in our little unscientific poll we did. Uh, but sure. I, and I, I can kind of relate this to the school resource officer program where maybe the majority of people would be for this, but there is a minority of people that are being affected by this, that if you did something like a vote or a survey, uh, well, maybe not a survey, but like, like some kind of vote that the, the majority would rule like in favor of school resource officers because uh, they're not affected. But so how do you, how do you balance that in, in terms of, you know, the, the equality equity thing? And we talked about that yesterday and, and the last couple of days, but uh, there, there's that, that happens here too as well, right? Uh, certainly happens in any number of issues, particularly as it relates to uh, equity issues uh, in, in any situation, but in schools for sure as well. Um, for me, one of the things I think about um, is we don't want to do anything in our schools that would create an unwelcoming atmosphere. And there's things that you know we do from time to time that create that 
as a part of our job, you know, so we have truancy laws on the books and we have to enforce truancy and, you know, we have to have difficult conversations with students and families and that doesn't always make, doesn't always make people happy. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make them feel welcome when they have to return to school uh, as a result of having been cited for truancy. Um, at the same time, anywhere we can uh, eliminate things that are unwelcoming for any student, whether it's one, two, five hundred, a thousand, you know, we're going to look at that and evaluate it so that we're doing the best job that we can. And so I think the school resource officer program falls in that category. For some students, it makes them feel unwelcome. You know, for others, you know, it may be a sense of security. But because it makes some students feel unwelcome, we should evaluate that program and we should determine what we can do to ensure that all students feel welcome at our schools. Now, I'll refer back to this list. You got a, you got a list of stakeholders. There's 27 on it. And you got a, a, a couple of lists of questions and maybe, maybe statements here, too, as well. Do you look at these things and go, do you, do you have the power or do you see fit where you go? Um, I'm just going to use this as an example. I'm not saying this, is, this would happen. But you see Police Chief Kudron on here. You know what? We don't need to talk to him about the school resource officer. I picked the most ridiculous example. But do you, <laughs> would you cross anything off this list? Like, you know what? That's not something that we're going to look at. Or any of these questions, you know what, this question doesn't really, isn't really fair. It doesn't pertain to what we're trying to get at. I don't know. Have you done, have you looked at that? And do you even, do you even have that power? Um, yeah, I looked carefully at that list. Um, I was at the school board meeting of that subcommittee meeting, you know, to help organize the questions and think about those individuals. I think every one of those questions is a, a valid question to, to look into. And I think that um, each of the individuals or entities identified on that list is one that we'll reach out to. And there's even more questions that I have that go beyond that list. And there's even more uh, uh, individuals and, and entities that will reach out beyond that as well. I think that list and that, that list of questions and that list of organizations represents uh, something of a, a kind of a minimum of what the board expects, but I anticipate that our evaluation will exceed that. Yeah, that was my next question because I, you know, on top of, you know, we're going to cross some of this stuff off. You, last time you talked, you said you were doing quite a bit of research on, on, on this stuff even before you took over as the superintendent. And, you know, you probably have a, a list of questions of your own. And I, I suppose that list probably, you know, if you talk to an, enough people, that, that, that might never end. You, you might never have enough questions or, or people to talk to about, you know, keeping or whether or not to keep school resource officers in school. Absolutely. I think as I talk to administrators and teachers and students, they'll have a list of questions that they have also. And uh, I'm hopeful that uh, a thorough review of the program and talking to the people involved and involving those that the program affects from the students to the teachers to the administrators to the school resource officers themselves will be able to generate uh, a really good um, set of answers to these questions that will um, provide the school board with all the information they need to make a good decision. All right, Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engels joining us. He's 21 days into the job. He's only got a pandemic to deal with, and the idea of whether or not to keep school resource officer program in the Lacrosse schools after they've been, you know, in a partnership with the school district for for decades. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, the pandemic and and how we bring children and how we bring students back safely into schools. Uh, we'll be back after this on Wisdom. 
Ease. There's a magic Apennines. Like the magic of saltwater taffy, jelly bellies, popcorn, magic treats that won't melt on a summer day. And of course, some that will if you don't eat them fast enough, like decadent chocolate truffles. Fanati's Not in Chocolate Shop has magic in every bite. Come taste the magic at Fanati's on Main Street, downtown La Crosse. As I see it, I'm Scott Robert Shaw. The United States is, we are told, the greatest country in the world. Then how did we get things so wrong? While other countries have been successful in preventing deaths and slowing transmission of the coronavirus, the U.S. leads the world in the number of cases and the number of deaths. How did it happen? It seems that just about every turn, we made mistake after mistake, despite being ranked as the nation most prepared to deal with the pandemic. First and foremost, we lacked a federal response to dealing with the virus. Even though the virus doesn't respect geographical boundaries, the federal government left it up to the states to come up with their own response plans. That led to states bidding against one another and even other countries in trying to secure necessary test kits and PPEs. We didn't test quickly enough, and we didn't administer enough tests. There's been a lack of investment in public health. We rushed to reopen too early. After a couple months of trying to flatten the curve through social distancing, states suddenly reopened. People fed up with quarantining lost their fear of the virus, and suddenly cases spiked with seemingly no end in sight. It seems that if there was a mistake to be made in handling the coronavirus, the greatest country on earth found a way to make that mistake. I'm Scott Robert Shaw on Wisdom. For WisdomNews.com, I'm Brad Williams. Another seven cases of COVID-19 today in La Crosse County. Hospitalizations decreased by one today, down to five. The total number of cases in the county is 673. Wisconsin hit a record daily high today in number of confirmed COVID-19 cases with 1,117 additional cases. There were also 14 deaths reported. That's the second day with double-digit deaths since June 27th. An 86-year-old driver may have had a medical emergency behind the wheel in Monroe County last night. Leona Dillon went off Ogden Avenue south of Cashton and ran over a dog in a private driveway. Dillon's car then traveled through a fence and into a ditch and went back across the avenue before landing in the ditch on the other side. Responders found Dillon non-responsive but breathing and she was flown to Gunderson for treatment. The crash happened around 6 o'clock Monday night. The coronavirus has brought much of the world to a screeching halt, including history, at least in lacrosse. A UWL study into creating a local history museum was disrupted this spring when the campus was shut down by COVID-19. You know, it kind of shifted a little bit, but the biggest problem was that a lot of the students who were working on this were all sent home, classes, you know, were online, and they had a lot of setbacks just in terms of lost demand hours on working on this study. That's Tim Acklin from the City Planning Department. He's optimistic that the study group can put together a recommendation for City Hall within the next month. Mayor Tim Cabot first appointed a task force to develop a lacrosse museum nearly three years ago. The state DNR says volunteers have discovered a rare carnivorous plant in northern Wisconsin. It was last seen four decades ago, but failed to find any trace of scores of previously documented rare plants in the state. The department dispatched volunteers with its rare plant monitoring program around Wisconsin last year to check on rare plant populations. They uncovered English sundew, an insect-eating plant in Ashland County, for the first time in 40 years. For Wisdom News, I'm Brad Williams. If you don't want it heard, don't let it happen. This is Wisdom News.
Attention all authors. Page Publishing is looking for authors. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Page Publishing will get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, Apple iTunes, and other outlets. They handle all aspects of the publishing process for you. Printing, cover art, publicity, copyright, and editing. Call 800-501-3689 now for your free author submission kit. That's 800-501-3689 for your free author submission kit. Again, 800-501-3689. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Aaron Engel, the lacrosse school superintendent, 21 days into the job, into the new job. It's not like he hasn't been a superintendent before. He was doing that in Gallagher Trimple. What, for seven seven years, Engel? Five years. Five years, sorry. Um, I did, before we move on to uh, schools and reopening schools, we I did get a text from Nathan, and I'll just see what you think here. He says, I find it ironic that we have police officers in schools when maybe it would be better to have a chaplain instead, teach kids some morals and discipline, and maybe they would not need police presence. So what about having a chaplain in the schools? Ah, That's a a unique concept. I think in terms of morals and and discipline, I think our, our, our teachers have always engaged in those activities, trying to teach students, you know, what to do to do the right thing. You know, so I think... You know, for a long time, we've had that ethic in our schools, if not a chaplain. All right. And uh, Joe's calling in, but we're going to talk about reopening schools here in a minute. And if you want to text or call 608-785-7914 is the talk and text slide here. Joe, go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, I don't think we should bring a chaplain in to do the job of what the parents should be doing. And then also, I just wanted to say, with uh, 700 cases of this cold in the area and only five hospitalizations, I don't call that a pandemic, and there should be no reason why the kids shouldn't be going back to school. Even with HN1, which is a virus that we hadn't seen before, no one bellyached and, and tried to control us like they're doing now. All right. Uh, Dr. Henry, you got any comment for that? Um, uh, I, I feel like my training and education have made me a public education expert to a certain extent, but I'm not a public health expert. And so I, I rely on uh, the county Department of Health, our, our state officials, and the, the CDC to make those determinations. And he said five hospitalizations. That's how many are in the hospital today. We had one death last Friday. Trempolo County also had a death last Friday. So there's a, the first death from the virus. Um, it's kind of like anything. It's it slowly catches up to uh, other parts of the the state or the the world. Essentially, I think um, it maybe it maybe like a trickle down effect. But um, all right, so the it's kind of an easy question. But the the most important thing when it comes to reopening schools, and you you've set a date of September first, perhaps uh, is what the number one concern that we have is the safety of our students and our staff. We want to ensure that. Uh, whatever conditions we're under at, at whatever time we open schools, that our students and staff are safe, first and foremost. And, uh, you know, with the, what, what's the most, what's the best way of, of doing that in terms of, like, the, the, the questions, you know, when I was talking about this earlier with some colleagues in, in, in the newsroom, I said, man, to, to do this, to open safely, it starts with kids at the end of the driveway getting on a bus. Like, do you, do you I mean, that, that, that sometimes I gets left out of the conversation. We're going to have kids on buses. Absolutely. Transportation is certainly top of mind for us. Uh, and there's 
uh, dozens or hundreds of routines that happen each day that put kids into contact with each other or adults into contact with each other. And so every every element of the, the school day is something that we're scrutinizing to ensure that, that students and staff can remain safe. Is there is there any kind of funding coming from the state? So uh, how many years ago? Was it a year ago or two years ago? We we did this school safety thing amongst uh, from when Governor Scott Walker was in office. So it was a couple of years ago in, in terms of school shootings and how to be safer uh, from school shootings. And, and a whole bunch of money was doled out. Has the state doled out a bunch of money for schools on to to keep safe from from a virus? So the CARES Act was passed by the federal government, and that money passed through the state into schools. And so we've received some money uh, for uh, providing safety measures for reopening. Uh, However, you know, the state is at a a huge uh, disadvantage in that they are facing a a major revenue shortage. Uh, They're likely to run deficits this year as well. And as opposed to getting more money from the state, I think, you know, we, we, we're anticipating maybe getting less money from the state because of the, the hit to the economy that this pandemic has, has had for the state. Yeah, there's, there's just not, not a whole lot of money to go around. So, so in terms of, uh, you know, keeping kids safe, keeping teachers safe, you're, you're going to have less, less money to, to do that. Uh, it seems like a, like a losing battle like from, from every front. Absolutely. Fortunately, you know, I mean, it's not enough, but there's the HEROES Act at the federal government right now. I believe the House passed it. It's on the, it's in the Senate right now. You know, that funding would help backfill state revenue shortfalls. It would also provide direct assistance to schools. So anything the federal government or the state government can do to help us, we're incredibly appreciative of. Um, all right. So, so um, yeah, when, when I start thinking about this, that's where I started. I started thinking about, you know, in terms of not school funding, but the idea that kids are getting on buses. Okay. Do we wall off the bus driver? Because in terms of like keeping kids safe, we we've kind of learned that kids are a little bit more resilient to the virus versus teachers. So right away, I think, okay, well, are we going to wall off teachers? Like maybe they're in the front of the classroom and there's plexiglass, I mean, this is this all seems like a big distraction when you're trying to keep kids concentrated on on actual learning. When maybe they're thinking about maybe they're shooting spitballs into a plexi into the plexiglass where the teacher is standing. I think there's always been distractions for students, regardless of uh, the circumstances under which we've educated them. But those safety measures are ones we're we're looking into. Uh, we're taking the the recommendations of professionals in these areas, and we're looking at plexiglass screens for high traffic areas, for our administrative assistants and uh, others, uh, looking at masks and uh, face shields for folks that have to get closer to students, you know, that, you know, may have uh, a need to do so. So I think we're looking at every possible measure for uh, maximizing safety for our students and staff. What would you say is, I tried to ask the county health director this, but I don't think she, she really understood my question last week. But what would you say is maybe the not ridiculous, but like maybe most drastic thing that the school is going to be doing or maybe most abnormal in terms of, you know, maybe optics in terms of trying to keep, uh, you know, safe or safe distance? Or is it something like uh, walling off the teacher behind behind the, the, the teacher's desk with with plexiglass? Or is there is there something a little bit like is there is, is there something bigger than that? 
Yeah, and we know that proximity for teachers is important. We anticipate that they'll be circulating through the rooms. You know, the the big change, you know, depending on how and when we're able to reopen. But when we come back to school physically, you know, students will move around in cohorts. You know, typically, like, you go to lunch and you're able to mix with different classes. You go out to recess and there's maybe four, you know, two or three grade levels out there at the same time, you know, mixing and playing. But in order to limit contact and to to prevent, you know, spread of COVID-19 when we do return back to school, you know, our students are going to move in groups of maybe 20 or 25 as opposed to being able to interact with uh, larger groups of students. Um, we still haven't figured out the details of that yet. Uh, we're still collaborating with the county on figuring out what all that looks like. But I think that is one of the, the big changes that we'll see. Uh, there's some irony here when you guys talk about you're, you're meeting with the county. The county said the county health director said last week that all the schools in this area, I think uh, private and public, are meeting together uh, to to try to figure out the best plan of action. And when I say together, I don't mean li- physically together. They're just meeting oh, virtually, essentially. And we have we have stuff like that. The school board meeting happens virtually. We're doing all these things virtually, but but all the conversations are about getting people together, essentially physically. Can you talk about the irony there, where you guys aren't meeting in person, but that that's what the conversation is about, essentially? Absolutely, there clear irony there. I, I definitely realize the optics aren't great. Um, I'm in the National Guard, and one of our um, you know mantras is to lead from the front to, to, you know, to model what others ought to do. And I think in this case, our logic gets a, a skew a little bit. In this case, I feel that bringing students back physically in person to school is incredibly important. We know that that's where they learn best, to teach phonics, early numeracy, to do, to provide education for students with special needs being physically present in school is incredibly important. And right now, the way to model the right thing to do is to wear masks and to socially distance. And so while it would seem that if our school board isn't meeting face-to-face, how can we ask our teachers meet face-to-face? It's more important for us to model the right thing in social distancing. If we all do the right thing by meeting virtually, by not going out into the community where we don't have to, then that's going to create the conditions where we can bring kids back to school. So by meeting virtually, we're modeling the right thing to do so that we can have students back at school. And so I know that's a little bit, you know, different than the the, the normal logic you might apply, but modeling the right thing in this case isn't meeting face-to-face. It is meeting virtually. Speaking with Dr. Aaron Engel, he's the new lacrosse school superintendent, 21 days, three weeks into the job, I could say. Um, Joe texted in, I don't know if this is the same Joe, but he said, what possible funding could schools need? How much does it cost to keep a kid's fingers out of their mouths? I would say it's infinite. The amount of money to keep kids' fingers out of their mouths is infinite because you can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I definitely understand the sentiment. You know, we just train, we just teach kids to do the right thing. However, uh, the cost of masks, the cost of hand-washing stations, the cost of plexiglass, the, the cost of additional routes for buses to keep numbers low. Um, you know, there's just uh, ongoing costs. Um, we have to be able to provide an online platform for students to learn. Uh, learning management software costs a lot of money. You know, we have additional devices that 
we're purchasing so that kindergarten through third graders have access to a device while they're at home. We have students that don't have access to, to Internet uh, because of uh, economic concerns, and so we're providing hotspots for those students. All of these costs add up, and it's going to be in the millions of dollars for a school district our size when it's all said and done. Yeah, on top of you, you also have to do a lot of clean, you need cleaning supplies, but also somebody has to do the cleaning. So are we going to teach, uh, not that we need to teach teachers, but are teachers going to be the janitors when it comes to cleaning their classrooms? Or are you going to hire more janitors or custodians? What, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it never really ends. Yeah, we've always, you know, had students assist in cleaning their own classrooms, but that was when it was a little bit safer. You know, we don't want kids exposing themselves uh, to coronavirus by cleaning some other student's desk. And so, you know, the time that our, our custodial staff is going to take is going to be a little bit longer, and the types of supplies and cleaning methods we're going to use are going to be more rigorous and more expensive. You know, so there's just many ongoing costs for us to keep kids safe while at their school. And we want to do everything possible to get students to school and then keep them safe while they're there. Yeah, and then, you know, I, I think maybe you could make the – you almost would want to make the school day longer to to help, you know, sub, do these other extra chores that you're going to have to do to, to, to kind of fight the virus. But also you don't want to make the school day longer because then people are in school longer. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a catch-22. We are talking about staggered starts and ending days, endings of the day. So we we don't want – 300 kids coming through the front door at the same time. We want, you know, only maybe we want a trickle to come through continually. You know, so we're looking at different entrances and different drop-off points, um, you know, students getting picked up at staggered times so that we don't have all of the kids contacting each other at the same time. Just a, a giant uh, logistical uh, maze to navigate. Yeah. Is there any talk of, I, I know there is talk of this, but how serious would, would the, is the conversation around maybe having, I don't, I don't understand how this works. Would you have, because the classroom, you don't want 30 kids in the classroom. And I don't know if that's the average in lacrosse school district or not. Maybe you know that, but would, would half a class, like half the third grade class for Mrs. Smith's, you know, whatever third grade class would half of them come one day and the other half would come the next day. Uh, is, can you can you talk about that plan? Is there a plan there like that? Um, so we've developed multiple different scenarios, and we're still working with the county to determine which is uh, the most appropriate. But uh, alternating days is one of those, and particularly for the, the middle and high schools where our class sizes get a little bit larger and the, the schedules are a little more unwieldy. It's difficult to imagine how we would, get down to a reasonable number of students without having alternating days, an A-B schedule of some sort. That's much less attractive at the elementary school uh, where that kind of daily continuity is so essential. But if that's the route we have to go uh, in order to get some students face-to-face in light of the, the safety concerns, then, then that is something that we're considering. Um, I've, I've heard that the – now, I don't think this is fair. So when schools shut down last year – Teachers were like thrown into this. Hey, you're going to teach kids online. Good luck, you know. And whatever. I'm not. I'm sure you, you. I'm sure there was a lot of like education amongst teachers to to do that. But I think the overall concept was that didn't work very well. We need to get kids back in the classroom. Like hopefully we can do that next year. 
And I'm sure over the summer, teachers learned how to better teach online while they're also trying to figure out how to teach in school. But have you come to the conclusion that like like online is is there is there better education amongst teachers to to better effectively teach online? Absolutely. We've all been learning incredible lessons over the course of the last five months. And the, the things that we took away and learned from uh, that shutdown in spring, you know, we're capitalizing on now. Uh, we're launching an all-virtual school that uses, you know, high-quality local teachers in order to run that. And we're also looking at best practices for when we move forward with um, school in the fall. You know, if we're online temporarily or from time to time or some students are online, you know, we've, we're really investing in our teachers in this upcoming uh, month on best practices, and our teachers are professionals. They've been learning on their own as well, trying to figure out how best to serve students in this new environment. Yeah, do you worry about how much of a strain this will be on teachers? Because it sounds like they're, you know... It, whether or not you, you want to call it, their in-school time is going to be like seven hours, and it used to probably be like three or four hours of, of paper correcting and, and maybe teaching after school or before school. But I, I feel like their they're, they're per hour a day might be 12 hours or, or longer. Do you worry about teachers just you know getting burned out? Absolutely. Uh, we know from this this spring that you know teaching online was exhausting. You know the. The idea that teachers aren't working while they're while they're at home is, you know, completely untrue. They're making phone calls. They're checking in with their students. They're, they're trying to make those contacts. They're going to the end of a driveway and trying to teach, you know, through distance learning. Uh, those same things will occur, you know, this fall while we're online or when we have to be. And so it's and, and to throw in multiple models for teachers, at least in the spring, we knew that we would just be online as opposed to having multiple different modes of instruction. And so it is exhausting for teachers. It's, it's been exhausting planning for it. And I don't, I'm not even the person that has to actually, you know, execute it. So I, I feel for teachers there. I also know that we have an incredible staff and that they're more than capable and that they will rise to the challenge because they care so deeply for our students. Do you have any teachers, you know, obviously, there's the teachers are a broad range age range. So do you have any teachers that are just like, Hey, I can't come back to school in person because I'm, you know, 55 or I have, you know, immune deficiencies, something like that. Yeah, we've been very sensitive to, to that concern. We've extended our retirement window so that um, teachers that wanted to reevaluate whether or not it was safe for them would have an opportunity to retire. And we have uh, a number of other staff members who've reached out to us to indicate, Hey, we've got this online option. You know, could I be a part of that, but I don't have to be exposed to, to coronavirus. And so we're making every effort to prioritize those teachers uh, for online options so that we can keep them safe. Oh, sure. We're going to teach a 60 year old teacher how to use a, a computer thing. Good one, Aaron. I'm just I have no doubt that they're able to do it. I, in my experience, it's not really been age that has differentiated a teacher's ability to learn something new. It's been more just desire and will. And I have seen 60-year-old teachers embrace online learning and do an amazing job at it. And I've seen 25-year-old teachers have difficulty with it. Yeah. So I, I don't consider age to be a differentiator. Um, just last question. I, and I won't even get into like how, how healthcare would affect uh, some of these teachers and janitors and anyone working in the school, but on, on a different subject, you talk about staggered starts or maybe bringing half the class on Monday and the other half of the class on Tuesday. Would you just set up cameras in this, 
in there where, 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 where a teacher would just be on camera teaching and then the other half of the class would watch while maybe half the class is in session? I don't know. Yep, absolutely something we're thinking about. Uh, we have uh, iPads, you know, uh, one-to-one throughout our school district. We could easily have one set up, and it could film a teacher. And maybe it's not live all the time, but we're able to record the lesson, or, you know, there's a synchronous time where students can tune in to get, you know, the, the core part of the lesson, and we can make that available. Maybe it's morning meeting at an elementary school so that uh, a student that's quarantined at home for a little while uh, is able to still be part of that community and make that connection. So definitely a strategy we're considering. All right, Dr. Aaron Engel, lacrosse school superintendent. I, I have tons of more questions, but I don't have any more time. Uh, but thanks a lot for joining us today, and we'll we'll talk to you next month, right? Uh, absolutely. I'm happy to talk more frequently, too. All right, thanks a lot. Have a good day. You too. All right, Dr. Aaron Engel, I, I really wanted to ask him about um, the idea of, you know, what if a kid gets the virus in a class, like what happens there, but we can, we can do that. We can do that in August. Cause I think they'll have a better plan by then. We got to take a quick break. We'll be back after this. on wisdom. Park bank is one of Wisconsin's top SBA lenders. I'm Morgan farmer and I'm a vice president at park bank. The way banking is today at a small bank, we get to marry all of the good things about being a small bank, the approachability being genuine with all of the technological advancements that have happened in the last 10 years, there is really not any product or service at a big bank that you can't also get at Park Bank. Mobile banking, mobile deposit, e-statements, ATM and debit cards, like it's all there for you. And on top of that, like you get to deal with real people. If you want to have a banker that you can have a face-to-face relationship with, we're well-suited for you. But in the 21st century, if you want to have a bank relationship where it's completely digital, where it's completely online, where it's completely mobile, we can do that too. Park Bank in La Crosse, Holman, and Sparta, and online at helloparkbank.com. Park Bank means business. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Something you can't get for $16.99? A weekend of family fun. Something you can get for $16.99? A month of unlimited washes at ShipShape Car Wash. Something you can't do in five minutes? Mow the lawn and do the trimming. Something you can do in five minutes? Get your dirty car clean at ShipShape Car Wash on Alaska and La Crosse's South Side. Unlimited washes, $16.99 a month. A clean car in five minutes. Your car isn't clean till it's ShipShape. Get the rest you deserve with Helix Sleep. Helix makes personalized mattresses to fit your unique body type and sleep preferences and give you the best sleep of your life. Go to helixsleep.com and get up to $200 off mattress orders. Staying safe is a priority, but some jobs still need to get done at home and on the work site. Thankfully, someone can help. The Cret Cavalry to the rescue! As La Crosse's only full-service lumber company, Cret Lumber wants to keep you safe while providing materials you need. Give them a call. They'll put together your order and load it. And if it's easier, they can even arrange a no-contact delivery to your driveway. Call during regular business hours Monday to Friday at either the La Crosse or Chaseburg locations. Quick, pick up the phone and dial 788-2600. The showroom is open, and one thing that stayed the same over the years is their commitment to offering quality building materials, just as they have for 70 years. Stop in or call ahead and your materials will be waiting. Great selection and complete service from start to finish. The Cret Cavalry to the rescue! Cret Lumber, 16th and Green Bay Street, Lacrosse, and in Chaseburg. Premium products, superior service since 1948. 
All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Just going to wrap up here. Thanks a lot to Dr. Aaron Engel, Lacrosse School Superintendent, for joining me. Uh, I did get one que- one text that from Phil. It said European schools have been open for three to four months. What are they doing? And I'll just I'll just give you an example. I was just real quick looking at the map. So the United States on July 20th, the the latest numbers I can get because obviously we're still to, into today, sixty thousand cases. And by comparison, say Germany, Germany had 500 cases. So that's what that's what they're doing over there. They have like 500 cases a day while we have 60,000 cases. So that's the difference when, when people ask. All right, that's all the time I have. Thanks a lot, guys, for listening. See you tomorrow. An elderly woman walked into La Crosse Memorials, and she was saying, I just don't know what to do. I'm here to buy a monument for my husband. And, oh, you know, I, I still miss him. I still wish he was here with us. And that made me think how important it is to make a decision like a memorial when both spouses are together and can do this together. And then you wouldn't have to have someone come in and say, I just don't know what to do. Visit Lacrosse Memorials online at lacrossemonument.com on Facebook or come to the showroom just south of Valley View Mall on Highway 16. Tee off at the 17th annual Golfing for Scouting Tournament Monday, August 17th at Lacrosse Country Club with special guest Jared Aberderis, Packer and Badger alumni. 18 holes of golf, lunch, dinner, silent auction, and event prizes, including four chances to win a hole-in-one vehicle from Dahl Automotive. Nine-hole corporate challenge includes morning tee times and a chance to win a $1,000 Kohler gift card to Black Wolf Run or Whistling Straits. For more info, visit GACBSA.org. Golfing for Scouting with Midwest Family. Wednesday on Lacrosse Talk PM, Christina Knutson, the development director at the Salvation Army, was nice enough to join me. We talked a bit about what they need over there, like blankets, shampoo, soap, and... Things like coffee and sliced bread. So those small type things that food-wise we're also looking for. Will you take bread that's not sliced and then manually slice it? (laughs) You can do that too. (laughs) You can make bread and then we will slice it. But as long as we get the bread, we will take it. Tune in 5 WICM Lacrosse News Talk 1410 AM 923 FM Wisdom News Time is six o'clock.